You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello and welcome to The Investor Way with myself, John McEwen, my co-host, Sam Ball. This week on The Investor Way, we have Tesco, Pennon, Weatherspoons, CVS Group, Imperial Brands, and our US company of the week is Pepsi. Sam, I'll kick us off with Tesco's then. Favourite of the show. It, it is very much a favourite of the show. And the UK's largest retailer, number one supermarket, they had their half-year results out last week with a 3.5% rise in half-year group sales, excluding fuel and ignoring the effect of exchange rates to £28.2 billion. Underlying operating profit fell 9.8% to £1.3 billion, with inflationary pressures pushing costs higher and a shift to own brand items by consumers. In the core UK and Ireland business, retail sales were up 2.7% to £25.6 billion, and Booker in particular performed strongly, with sales rising 13.9%, with a catering business recovering strongly. In the UK, however, Tesco sales fell 0.1%, with the company hiking prices alongside other supermarkets. Underlying operating profit in the division fell 11.5% to £1.2 billion, with higher costs hitting margins. In terms of online, sales in the UK fell 11.3%, with a return to stores. Online sales still remain 53.4% higher than pre-pandemic levels. In Central Europe, retail sales were up 10.4% to £2 billion, with growth in all geographies. Cost inflation was offset by higher sales and cost-saving initiatives, helping underlying operating profit grow 19.1% to £79 million. In the Tesco Bank, revenue rose by 24.6% to £540 million, with increasing credit card customers, higher retail spending and a rise in travel money. Impairment charges and the poor economic outlook led underlying operating profits down 6.9% to £67 million. Retail free cash flow came in at £1.3 billion, £260 million less than last year, with low levels of profit and working capital inflows. Net debt fell by £500 million to £10 billion, which equates to two and a half time cash profits within the group's 2.3 to 2.8 range. Full year underlying retail operating profit is now expected to be towards the lower end of the guided range of 2.4 to 2.5 billion pounds with an improvement of retail cash flow of 1.8 billion pounds. Meanwhile, the 750 million pound share buyback is set to continue with 450 million pounds already completed since April. An interim dividend of 3.85 pence was announced, which represents a 20% increase. In terms of valuation, Tesco's has a market cap of £14 billion and trades at just under 10 times earnings with a 5% dividend yield. I mean, I I think these results were probably in line with what we might expect. It was impressive that they still managed to grow revenue on the back of what were different difficult comparators. And I think we probably expected that underlying profit, underlying operating profit to fall with the inflationary pressures and with the the murmurings that we've been hearing coming out of the sector. 
I think Tesco's is probably the in in the in retail and particularly in the, of the supermarkets best place to weather this storm. I think it's still potentially quite an attractive investment despite the wider economic outlook. It's got a very juicy dividend of 5% and it's not very expensive at just under 10 times earnings. So I I, I hold Tesco's and I, I'm, I'm happy to continue and reinvest in my dividend. Sam, what are your thoughts on these results and Tesco's as it stands? I think the results are fine. I think on the surface, you could look and say, well, they're slightly disappointing. But I think when you look at the year they had last year and then also the environment they're facing this year because they are not a beneficiary of an inflationary environment they get squeezed on the costs and if they put the prices up prices up it drives customers to aldi and Lidl. so i think the response where they've tried to hold i know there's been some slight increase in prices but for a lot of the items they've tried to hold them in line with aldi and Lidl's to keep the customers that has bitten through into the operating profits but i think it's the right approach i think it's a very very good business i think in the last 10 years, it's a completely different business to what it was 10 years ago. I think it's very well run. I think to get it at forward P of just under 10 with a yield of over 5%, yes, it might have a difficult two or three years ahead, but you're getting a very, very good business, very, very cheap. Yeah, and it's the opposite approach to what they tried in sort of after 2008. Which didn't um, work. Which which did, so they, they have learned from that. Yeah, and that... I personally, there's a little bit of bias, but I still shop at Tesco's. And you do notice on a lot of those core items that you buy, you've got an Aldi price match and you feel that you're getting quite good value. They've also invested a lot in the club card scheme. So they've got quite a lot of loyalty there. And particularly as things get more difficult economically, people I would thought would buy into that. Although we are seeing them trade down in terms of the brands to sort of own brands, but that's um, be expected though, isn't it? Really? Oh, of course. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And we, I mean, you saw that with when we've covered Unilever and some of the big, big consumer goods companies too. Yeah. So I think it's it could be a bumpy couple of years, but that's why it's so cheap. But it is a very good and very well-run business, and I think the strategy is the right one. Yeah. No, absolutely, I would agree. On to right. Pennon. Yes, Pennon. So. Pennon have come out with a half-year trading statement, and they've said that despite tough macroeconomic conditions, they expect results for the half to September 22 to be in line with expectations. There have been operational challenges, not least the driest weather in 100 years and significant population increases in the southwest of England, where it provides water and wastewater services. Their southwest water was the second best performer among water providers in the last financial year, in terms of the regulators' delivery incentives and is on track for a positive performance this year. This has been supported by measures including leak reduction goals and the water fit plans, which are targeting coastal and river water quality improvement. Despite significant forward buying, Pennon is expecting its energy costs to increase by roughly 50 million this financial year against a total of 56 million last year, so basically doubling. It has ring fenced 160 million for investment in renewable energy generation and aims to be self sufficient for half of its requirements by 2030. They expect to save about 120 million due to the rising corporation tax being scrapped, assuming we don't get uh, another U turn. And high inflation is driving higher servicing costs for its index-linked debt, with about 8 million of cost increases for every percentage point increase in RPI inflation. 
in terms of valuation, the business trades at a forward PE for the next 12 months of 22.1, and that compares to a 10-year average of 11.9. And the prospective yield at the minute is 5.6%. My view is this isn't a particularly inspiring business at the best of times. You are just buying it for the income. I'm not sure I would want it. The debt's quite a lot. Net debt's mm. $2.7 billion. I'll just have a look at what the market cap is on it. Yeah, so net debt's $2.7 billion, and that's on a market cap of $2 billion. And then, should we have a look at the full year? What was the full year profit? $300 million. So debt's six or seven times underlying cash profit. So that debt is very high. The profits are going to get squeezed even more because the interest rate goes up, they're paying more on the debt. And then on top of that, the energy costs have just not been... It doesn't look like they've done a fantastic job hedging them at all. We've seen other businesses have done a much better job of hedging the increases. I'm not really sure what they're paying a dividend for at all, because although it's a fairly nice dividend, the debt's debt's at a level I would be uncomfortable with. I think once you get past Mm. about four times operating profits, I just get a bit uncomfortable with that. So people are buying it for the dividend, but it doesn't look like a secure dividend to me. The results weren't amazing last time, and they're going to be a lot worse in this half. And there's not really any signs it's going to get better because the energy costs aren't going to go down. So, yeah, I'm not a fan of it. John, what are your thoughts on the company and this trading statement? Yeah, no, similarly. I mean, I think it's a very defensive business, but you highlighted the thing that I would be very worried about, which is the debt and how expensive is that debt? And is it, you know, going forward with the current environment, it's going to be a I would expect a lot more expensive for them. There's also the problem of regulation. And if they do better, that's, you know, they're, they're more likely to be heavily regulated, particularly, I mean, you sort of alluded to the political sort of situation in the UK at the moment. And if there is a new government, sort of a new Labour government going forward, are they going to be vulnerable to that further regulation when they're not a great business anyway? So, yeah, I, I would be staying clear, to be honest. It w- wouldn't be one for me. No. Right. Shall we move on to a business that you certainly don't stay clear of? Although that's uh, well, I, I, not necessarily I, true for the stock. Uh, uh, yeah, that's what I was about to say. I, I like it, uh, as we've said before, as a consumer, which is uh, Weatherspoon's JD Weatherspoon, the UK's largest pub chain. They had their full year results out this week, with full year underlying revenue falling 4.3% to £1.74 billion compared with 2019, with the 53 weeks to July. 22 there was a 4.7 percent decrease in like for like sales with a slow recovery of sales in the whole sector lower revenue and inflationary pressures pushing up costs the group suffered a pre-tax loss of 30.4 million pounds compared with 102 and a half million pound profit in 2019 if we break those results down a little further the like for like revenue falls compared to 2019 were seen across the business like-for-like bar sales were down 6.5% compared with 3.2% in food. The fruit machine sales were actually up 12.3% and hotel rooms by 6.5%, but it's the bar and food sales that account for 92% of the total sales. Weatherspoon's reported a return to free cash flow of £21.9 million compared with an £83.3 million outflow last year. And for reference, the group saw free cash flow of £97 million in 2019. Net debt increased from £846 million to £892 million. 
and the size of the estate has been trimmed to 852 venues from 879 outlets pre-pandemic. The group currently owns 68.8% of its outlets. The group unsurprisingly didn't announce a dividend. And again, for comparison, it was paying 12 pence a share in 2019. Encouragingly, though, they said that in the first nine weeks of the current financial year, like-for-like -like sales were actually up 10.1%, but the group remained concerned about inflation and interest rate costs. Shares were up 14% on the results. In terms of valuation, Weatherspoons has a market cap of £594 million and trades at 11.5 times forward earnings, compared with a 10-year average of 168 I thought these results were probably slightly better than expected, but it's not saying a lot. The group has a huge amount of debt, and I think there's a, a very real risk with the current macro environment of more people drinking at home, buying their beers from Tesco's, and with a wider downturn, it doesn't look good for the group. I suppose one thing to say for them is that they are more of a value proposition anyway, so that it could be slightly better than if you were pitched somewhere in the middle and you were sort of being squeezed. There's also the cost of heating the pubs, which is massive. They've got the, the prices fixed until September 2023. However, if the energy prices do remain at a similar level to what they are now, it'll add a, another £100 million in costs for the business. I think on the upside, it's it is a more of a value play. It's got a strong brand and it does own nearly 70% of the estate. But everything that I've said, it would be definitely avoiding it at the moment. As a customer, though, I still feel like I have enough funds to go and go for Curry Club on Thursdays. Sam, your thoughts on these results and Weatherspoons as a business? Pretty similar. I think the last couple of times we've covered it, I I think because the focus has been on the sales, which we've been comparing to pre-pandemic levels, I don't think I've really looked much beyond that. This is the mm. first time I feel like I've looked at it and thought, bloody hell, that's got a lot of debt. It, 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 and it is a lot of debt. It's, I mean, even if you go back to the profit of 100 million in 2019, I mean, firstly, the debt's more than the market cap. So it's quite similar to Pennant in that respect. But net debt of 892 million, 2019 profits were 100 million. Uh, again, it's just at a level I'd be very uncomfortable. And that's if it was making those profits. It's making a loss. <laughs> the interest on that could be going up. I know it said that the lenders have been quite relaxed, but mm. yeah, it's not fantastic. Don't really see where the growth is. I don't really see... The only thing you can really look at is say, well, maybe a recession would be beneficial because they're positioned at the lowest end of the market. Mm. I don't genuinely... Like, I don't see what you can look at and say, what, what can management do? To get themselves out of this and i don't re i feel like they're backed into a corner because they can't raise prices because that's not what they're positioned for i appreciate if they end up with a hundred million pound extra of heating and the interest rates are up then prices will just have to go up or they're going to run out of cash pretty quickly but yeah it looks it looks like it's in a real bad spot actually i didn't appreciate how bad it was i was just talking about how it owns a lot of the 70 percent of the premises obviously that's very good but when the net debt's that high does it does it really own the premises yeah. This, this isn't debt free. All yeah. right, it's not got a mortgage on the premises, but it's got the debt elsewhere. So it may as well do. So again, it's not, I think they're in a very difficult position just because I don't see, it's not where you can look at it and say, well, you know, I don't agree with the strategy or anything. I, I don't see what they do to get out of it apart from hope that 
a recession means more people are pushed towards spoons. But as a product, I think it's fantastic. I mean, sometimes I do wonder how they can have it so cheap and make a profit. And the answer yeah. is they can't. Yeah. <laughs> At least now we've got the answer. But I great. I, I really I do like the business, but or I do like the products, but yeah, this is uh, it's it's not a pretty business. I don't think it's actually much different to when we looked at Pennant. The only difference is you're not going to have regulation as much as an issue. It's but it yeah, like you say, it's it, uh, it's it's difficult to to see the light at the end of. The, I suppose they've got the World Cup, um, but they don't have a TV license. Yeah, <laughs> so you get the benefit from the drinking, but people yeah. aren't going to be going to spoons to watch it. Yeah, that's yeah, you're you're right there. It's. <laughs> You're clutching at straws with that, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, I think you are. And you know, like we see with Tesco's, it's that people would probably who might you know normally go to Spoons trade down for beers for Tesco's and watch yeah. the World Cup at home. Well, which... Tim, was it was he called Tim Martin? He's been very, yeah. very vocal about that and the VAT well, on it. Yeah, I quite mean, rightly. I mean, when you look at these it's results, yeah. Yeah, what can they um, do when you look at these results? Yeah, absolutely. Maybe that campaign will listen 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 to it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Wishful thinking. Okay. On to CVS Group. Yes. So this is a debut on the show for CVS. So for anyone who's not familiar with the business, it's FTSE 100 listed, and they provide vet services. So they provide veterinary practices veterinary diagnostic businesses, pet crematoria, and they have an online retail business too. The veterinary practice segment comprises about 500 veterinary practices across three markets, including eight specialist referral hospitals and 35 dedicated out-of-hour sites. The laboratory segment provides diagnostic services and in-practice laboratory analyzers to CVS practices and third-party owned veterinary surgeries. The company's diagnostic services are offered through Post and Courier, allowing a range of coverage of the United Kingdom. The crematoria segment provides pet cremation and clinical waste disposal for CVS and third-party practices. So they have come out with their full-year results, and revenue rose 8.6% to 554 million, reflecting like-for-like growth of 8%. This comes as there is increasing demand for the group services as the pet population is growing. Underlying cash profits rose 10.2% to $107 million. CVS said like-for-like growth has been strong in the first 10 weeks of the new financial year, but remains mindful of the wider macroeconomic backdrop and inflationary pressures. For veterinary practices, which is the largest division, revenue grew 8.5% to $492 million. And that's out of a total of 554, so it is the bulk of the revenue, despite weaker performance in the final quarter because of COVID-19. The Healthy Pet Club Scheme, which offers routine flea and worming treatments and vaccinations along with health checks, now has 475,000 members. Underlying cash profits were 108.8 million, up from 98.4 million. There was a 6% increase in the average number of vets employed, with a record number of graduate vets recruited. Vet and nurse vacancy rates have been relatively steady. In the laboratories business, revenue was 27.2 million compared to 28 million last year. This is because results were boosted last year from one-off COVID testing. Without this, revenue was up 1.1% this year. Underlying EBITDA was 8.3 million, down from 9.1. Crematorial revenue of 9.5 million was up from 8 million, and this was driven by the newer direct cremation service. Underlying EBITDA rose over 21% to 3.4 million. 
CVS is online pet food and pharmacy retailer Animed Direct saw online retail revenue rise 11.8% to 46.6 million, while underlying EBITDA was up 20.7% to 3.5 million. This reflects the benefit of increased marketing despite an 8.9% reduction in unique customer numbers. The group spent 24.5 million on capital expenditure, which was up from 16.6 million last year. Higher profits meant free cash flow still increased, rising by a third to 52 million. Net debt fell from 50.2 million to 35.3 million. In terms of the valuation, the company trades at a forward PE of 18, and that compares to a 10 year average of 20.5. And the prospective dividend yield for the next 12 months is 0.6%. My view is these are pretty decent results, but the yield's very low. The forward PE is quite expensive, and I don't really know where the growth comes from apart from. There's nothing to suggest they're going to take more market share. I think it's a pretty saturated market anyway, and the yield's pretty low. I think if I did want exposure to that sector, I'd probably go for pets at home, which we've looked at a couple of times, and it has actually proven itself to be a pretty decent retailer. I did have a look at the last set of pets at home results and their revenue growth. And obviously the difference is pets at home is primarily a retailer with a bit of vets on, with a bit of veterinary on the side, whereas... Uh, CVS is more veterinary with a bit of online retail on the side. But Pets at Home's growth was 6% compared to CVS's 8%. And Pets at Home is trading at a PE of 10.5 compared to 18. For that difference in growth, I I just don't know why you'd pick it over Pets at Home. And Pets at Home has a yield of just of about 2.7% too. So yeah, so decent enough results. I don't really understand the valuation. And although they're, not direct, although they're not direct comparatives, I'd rather have pets at home in my portfolio unless I'm missing something about the business. John, what were your thoughts on the results and the valuation? Yeah, no, I, I would tend to agree with you if you're comparing within us. I, I appreciate they're slight, they are different sectors, but in that sort of veterinary sphere, it, pets at home certainly with a valuation looks more appealing. I guess the the positive is that it it's growing. The sector is growing with more people buying, particularly dogs, but pets of all descriptions. So it's on the back of a growth t- trend. I would wonder what would happen in the, again in the wider macro picture if there's sort of a, a downturn on that front. And I think the other thing that probably CVS benefits from is that there are going to be or there are fewer independent providers so fewer independent vets and it does seem to be dominated by the bigger players like cvs but i i would be again at 18 time zones i'd be looking at pets at home I, i wouldn't see what it is and again we could be missing something but nothing leaps out at me to to justify that price really right shall we move on to what i'm guessing is a cheaper business well, yes, it is a cheaper business. It's become a little bit more expensive re- recently, but it's all all relative. And that's Imperial Brands, the UK's second largest tobacco company. They had a trading statement out last week with full-year trading confirmed to be in line with expectations, full-year net revenue and group operating profit both to grow by around 1% at constant currency and to have a tailwind of around 1% at current exchange rates. They also announced a share buyback program of a massive £1 billion or 5.5% of the issued share capital in the first 12 months, starting on the 7th of October, and that's going to end in September 2023. This makes total capital returns in the full year 2023, alongside the dividends, 
will exceed £2.3 billion, which represents around 13% of the current market capitalization. And again, this represents a culmination of what they describe as the two-year strengthening phase of the plan. And they say that they're moving into the next three-year stage or improving returns phase. Stefan Bomhard, the Imperial Brands Chief Executive, said, the launch of our new buyback programme is an important milestone in our five-year strategy announced in January 2021. Over the past two years, increased investment and a more consumer-centric approach have improved delivery in both our priority combustible markets and next-generation product operations. Disciplined capital allocation has strengthened our balance sheet to reach target leverage levels. Today's announcement is underpinned by this improving performance and our confidence in being able to continue generating strong cash flows to support growing shareholder returns in the years to come. We're committed to a progressive dividend and an ongoing buyback program to meaningfully reduce the capital base over time. The group have said that they're continuing to target investment in the largest five combustible markets that account for around 70% of operating profit, which has driven improvement in aggregate market share and at constant currency growth rate of tobacco net revenue improved in the second half compared with the first driven by a stronger, stronger price mix. Volume declines have continued in Northern Europe, which has partly been offset by volume growth in Southern Europe and in duty-free. Encouragingly, there's been a market share gained for the next generation products, Pulse and ID, the heated tobacco offering in both Greece and Czech Republic. They've also launched in Italy, which is Europe's largest heated tobacco market. Blue, which is the e-cigarette, Blue 2.0, the new pod-based e-cig has gone down well with consumers in France. Net debt continues to fall as now is at the lower end of the net debt targets, uh, so net debt to EBITDA ratio of two to two and a half times. Full year results for the year ended 30th of September 22 will be announced on the 15th of November. In terms of valuation, Imperial Brands has a market cap of just under 19 billion pounds and it trades at a forward price to earnings ratio of just 6.7. 10 year average forward price to earnings ratio is 10 and the prospective dividend yield is seven and well, just over seven and a half percent. I think it's remarkable how much cash they're returning to shareholders both through the dividends and through the buyback it's 13 percent of the market cap which is huge it does we, we've covered the imperial brands and british american a lot on the show before they are incredibly cheap and they're generating so much cash it's you've actually seen the share prices recover a bit in the last year particularly because they're about as defensive a business as you can come across and with the macro situation and tightening by central banks they're become the the market i think is becoming to you know realize that well the amount of cash and um, the dependable income that they have it's one that divides opinion from an esg perspective so that will put a lot of people off but it's certainly very cheap and is returning a lot to the shareholders clearly an industry in structural decline and it's imperial if you compare it with british american doesn't have probably probably doesn't have its strong brands and isn't as big 
despite those some of those improvements in the next generation products as British American. So between the two, I think a lot of people would probably prefer British American, which is slightly more expensive, reflecting those factors. Sam, thoughts on Imperial Brands and this statement? Did they give any figures, like percentage growth figures for the next-gen products? They didn't in this statement. I can have a look at... No, I just wanted wanted in the statement. So I know in the last results, not as good as... Uh, British Americans have been so I was just wondering if they'd given a figure at all for it but assuming the next generation growth is still not fantastic very cheap business generating a lot of cash as we'd expect I don't like the buyback I just think out of principle I think it's the I don't have an issue with buybacks per se but I think the the implication of a buyback is you're getting a higher percentage ownership of the same business without having to do anything so they're basically almost reinvesting the dividend. It's kind of like having a dividend, but they're using it to buy other people's shares to increase your ownership. And that's fine if you want to increase your ownership. And I think with most businesses, they can sort of assume that you do want to. But with a business that's in structural decline, I think to assume that shareholders want to increase their percentage ownership may not be correct. I think all surplus cash should pretty much for tobacco companies just be distributed as dividends. And if if the shareholders want to buy more shares in a declining business, that's up to them. But a lot of them, I suspect, won't. And a lot of them, I suspect, are buying it for the income. The dividend's still very strong, but ideally, I'd, I just wouldn't see a buyback because I I think they're making a decision on behalf of shareholders that might be different to what a lot of shareholders would do if they got the cash as a dividend. Because what proportion of those shareholders would actually want to reinvest it? I think it's probably pretty low. But that being said, this statement looks fine showing its defensiveness it's not ideal that they've not put a figure in for next gen but that's probably because growth continues to be poor and i just think it's not i've said it before but it's just not as good a business as british american tobacco and british american tobacco has much higher growth than the next gen so it might actually have a future as well whereas imperial brands it's harder to make because if the next gen doesn't perform that's it so yeah yeah for reference at the half year results the next gen products report an 8.7% net revenue growth but that's yeah that's rubbish though yeah 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 like that's british right. american it's about 40 50% yeah no that's right do you think that there's a chance at this sort of valuation that it's a takeover target possibly at this valuation, it's hard to buy it and not get enough cash out of it. Yes, that's right. To get your money back. Like, I don't <laughs> think it's going to be gone in, you know, a P of six, you know, six or seven. It's, it's still going to be here in six or seven years. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it probably is because it's the smallest by some way. So, yeah, I, 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 I think it could well be. Yeah. I think that would be very beneficial for it as well, actually, because uh, if you could maybe roll in some of those markets, if it could just focus on rolling out the next gen products that the you know say British American ones, I think the current next gen strategy is just not working. So it could probably do with a little assistance from that. So yeah. I don't think a takeover would be against its best interests either. And it did take on a lot of debt to buy the the flagship blue e sig, which, as we've seen, hasn't really worked for it. Yeah. But anyway, right on to another consumer goods company, Pepsi. Yes. Pepsi. So Pepsi, which we have covered before, actually, a couple of times, I think now, but Pepsi have come out with third quarter results and third quarter underlying revenue rose 16% to $22 billion. And all these figures will be in dollars. 
thanks to double-digit growth in all segments bar Asia-Pacific, Australia, New Zealand, and China. This fed into a 14% increase in underlying operating profit. The group now expects full-year underlying revenue growth of 12%, up from guidance for, of 10%. Underlying earnings per share is now expected to rise 10%, up from the previous forecast of 8%. Management is still planning to return $7.7 billion to shareholders this year, made up of $6.2 billion in dividend payments and $1.5 billion in share buybacks. And for context, that's on a market cap of $224 billion, so it's, pretty, it's about 3%, so pretty small, really. Um, we split the results by division. Free to lay North America reported revenue of 5.6 billion up 20%, driven by growth across all channels with particular strength among large format, food service and convenience and gas sellers. Operating profit increased 7% to 1.6 billion despite inflationary pressure and a double digit increase in advertising and marketing spend. Revenue at Quaker Foods North America was up 16% to 713 million, reflecting growth in all product categories. Light snacks, cookies, oatmeal, and ready-to-eat cereals were the strongest performers with high double-digit revenue growth. Together with cost-saving effort, this fed into a 15% increase in operating profits to $122 million. PepsiCo Beverages North America saw revenue increase 13%, $6.6 billion. Gatorade, Pepsi, and Rockstar led the performance with double-digit revenue growth. Operating profit in this segment was 4% higher at $784 million. The international business saw revenue rise 16%, driven by a 20% improvement in convenient foods and a 9% increase in beverages. Growth was led by Latin America, but the region saw a strong performance across all segments. Free cash flow was $4 billion, down from $4.4 billion last year. Net debt was down from $34 billion to $32 billion. And in terms of the valuation, the business trades at a forward PE of 23 and a 10-year average of 209 the prospective dividend yield is 2.9%. I think these are, I mean, I think it's a fantastic business. It's got some fantastic brands, not just on the beverages, whereas Coca-Cola, we've covered that as well. And that's mainly beverages, but they've also got the snacks and that makes up about half the revenue, but fantastic brands, fantastic performance. I think a revenue rise of 16% and what was it? Earnings per share growth of 10%. I think that's, I mean, we look at the consumer goods companies we've covered over the last few weeks. I think it's putting putting them all to shame. I can't think of one that's kept up with it, really. I think that's absolutely... We've seen somewhere they've got the revenue up, but it's not fed through to the costs. And they have suffered Pepsi's absolutely out of the consumer goods companies we've covered. And I can't recall if we've covered, Net, uh, if we've covered Nestle recently, but out of the ones we've covered, I think this is by far and away the best set of results. I think they're fantastic. I think it's a fantastic business. But I wouldn't want to pay 23 times earnings for it. <laughs> and I think in this environment, if you wait, you, you could get the chance to buy it quite a bit cheaper. What do you think on these results and the business, John? I mean, as, a consumer good, as a consumer goods enthusiast. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I love it. I love Pepsi and I like uh, obviously Coca-Cola too. Pepsi has the snacks, which again, something we've talked, out, uh, talked about before. But yeah, they are for a consumer goods company and certainly in the current environment they're fantastic numbers and the brands are amongst the strongest in the world i would love to own pepsi and it's yeah it's coming to terms with the valuation do you try and time it or do you just pay up for it i don't know it's certainly on my watch list say we cover it in six months time and the (laughs) pu's dropped to 16 17 yeah 
and it's the same price as Unilever. Would you take a serious look at it? Uh, yeah, I, I'd probably just buy share. I mean, I'd, I'd take a, a, a deep look at it, but I would be, yeah. <laughs> Snap it, it off. I, I would be very, very keen. I've got Kraft Heinz, I've got Reckitt, I've got Unilever, and yeah. Always uh, looking think, for another to add to the collection. I, I, well, that's right, that's right, that's right. So, um, but Merceau is the like, same as well. It's like, they're, the it, best, they're, they're yeah. probably the best two that we've covered, but they're also the most expensive. They are, but I mean, it's it's paying up for quality, isn't it? It is, but hopefully, <laughs> you know, you get an environment like this and hopefully you, you get quality at a bit of a discount. Yeah, of course. And that's what everybody wants, but it, it's... It doesn't come around very often. Yeah, should we see how the share price has done recently as well? Because I didn't look at that when I was... That shows just how you know, focused we are on the long term. As part of the research, I didn't look at how the share price has done. Uh, it's actually pretty near the 52-week high. So it's trading at $172, and that compares to a 52-week high of 181 and a 52-week low of 153 So, yeah, not, not a particularly volatile business. And not one you often get a chance to buy at a discount, unfortunately. <laughs> of the companies right. this week, Sam, what would be a pick? Tesco. Quite an easy Tesco's. choice, actually. Um, what about you? I mean, my preference would be for Pepsi, but at the price, with my own money, as it stands, I'd go for Tesco's. Yeah, I think Tesco at 10 times earnings, 5% dividend. <sighs> That's right. I think you'll struggle to get it at a better price. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and you, I think you can sleep soundly at night with Tesco's too. I would agree with that. <laughs> okay. I think that's everything in that case. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you again next time. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.